This morning as I was preparing, uh, man, I just felt a tug on my heart to revisit Psalm 23. Uh, the worship team just sang and reminded us of this timeless song. Uh, in fact, it's one of those psalms that uh, uh, at an early age I committed to memory uh, as a young man growing up in the Episcopal Church. I mentioned to you, I'm originally from Liberia, and I grew up Episcopal, and uh, we were the frozen chosen. Amen? And uh, yeah, there, there, there were a few things we, we did well, though. There are a few things we did well uh, that, uh, and they always uh, emphasize this, we learned how to memorize, or we memorize the 23rd Psalm. And then we also memorize what we often call the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11, where Jesus, Jesus, uh, uh, it comes out of the place of prayer, and his disciples immediately approach him and say, hey, hey, Lord, uh, check this out. Uh, uh, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You see, what the disciples found was that Jesus would steal away to a secret place. He would go into a solitary place, and out of that place of solitude, Jesus would come, and he knew stuff that nobody else knew. He could do things that nobody else could do. His disciples connected the dots and said, Jesus must be doing something in secret that determines what happens in public. The truth is, it's what we perfect in private we become proficient at in public. And his disciples recognized that there was a connection between what Jesus did in the private place of prayer and what manifested in the public life of ministry. Because prayerlessness is powerlessness. His disciples says, I want to tap into what you have. So teach us to pray. We want to walk in the same power. We want to walk into the same authority that you walk in. And so Jesus began to teach him. And check this out. Like I said, I grew up a nominal Christian. In fact, I could tell you, I could tell you, up until about age 18, uh, I could recite the 23rd Psalm. I could recite the Lord's Prayer. And I could also recite the shortest Bible verse in all the scripture. Come on, somebody. Jesus wept. Come on, somebody. Well, one more, one more, one more. Any John 3.16 people in the house? Come on, that, that, that's the go-to right there. If all else fails, I think we all got that John 3.16 on lock. That's why you talking about all of this. As, as, as Chalisa and the team are singing Psalm 23, right here sitting on this front row, I was transported to Liberia, West Africa, at the height of the Liberian Civil War. When my older brother Joshua and I were trapped behind rebel lines. Trapped behind rebel lines because there was a, a civil war that started on Christmas Eve of 1989. This was now around June or July of 1990. I come from a political family, four generations of politicians, one vice president, three senators. I'm separated from my parents at the height of the Liberian Civil War. have no idea where they are except that they had made it across the border into neighboring Sierra Leone. I'm 18 years old. My brother is 20 years old. And how many of you realize that nobody writes a manual called How to Survive a Civil War for Dummies? Mm -hmm. So what do you do when you're 18 years old? Your brother is 20 years old. You've lost everything. Can't find mama then. Where do you turn? I am a living witness that there are no atheists in the trenches. 
living witness. And we've all, well, maybe we haven't all been in a place where we've had to call upon God. Yeah. But my brother and I, at 18 and at 20 years old, cried out to God and said, God, if you get us out of this, come on, somebody, y'all know where I'm going with this, because we all, whether we have lived through a civil war or lived through a difficult circumstance, have bargained with God. God, if you fix this for me, God, if you turn this around for me, I'm yours for the rest of my life. And how many of you realize that God is always faithful to keep his end of the deal? The question is, how often we forget the commitments we made in desperate circumstances and in difficult places. And I still remember, I still remember exactly where we were. Exactly where we were. We were sitting in the boys' dormitory at Rick's Institute. My alma mater was the high school I graduated from that Southern Baptist missionaries uh, uh, established in the 1800s, went to this school, had just graduated the year before. The dormitory was abandoned, and there were, well, I say it was abandoned. It was abandoned by the students, and there were people who were displaced from all over the country who were living in that dormitory. And I still remember being on that top bunk, praying this prayer. From Psalm 23, because all around us were young men that we called freedom fighters who were child soldiers from our hometown. Simple prayer I prayed, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. For you are with me. And even in the midst of being surrounded by our enemies, the one thing that resonated with me and caused faith to rise in my heart, not the first time I prayed this prayer, but every single time I prayed this prayer was that simple line, for you are with me. Whether your mom is there or your dad is there or not, God is with you. And he makes all the difference in the world. Those, those words that the team sang this morning have tremendous resonance with me. And, and as I was preparing this morning and I knew they were going to sing Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 23, I was like, well, let me, uh, let me just share from my heart. I'm just going to go off the dome this morning. Is that all right? Because I think the Lord wants to encourage us. And remind all of us. He wants to remind each of us. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Even in the furnace. You're not alone. Let me tell you why that's important. Because most of us think that prayer exists for God to deliver us from trouble. And sometimes he chooses in his sovereignty to do that. That he will redeem us from the storm and he will redeem us from adversity. But sometimes he chooses in his sovereignty not to deliver us from the furnace, but to deliver us in. Somebody heard what I said. 
Yeah. He ain't going to keep you from getting the furnace. But he sure will be that fourth man in the fire. Isn't that what he said in Isaiah chapter uh, 43? He said, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You know what he's saying? He said, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly where you are. And I know exactly what you're going through. He said, I redeemed you. I called you by name. Child, you are mine. And then he said, listen to what he said. When you walk around the fire. No, he said, when you walk through the fire. I will deliver you. And when you walk through the flood, I will deliver you. This morning, for as long as I've been in ministry, I know that there are people right now in this room, as pretty as we are and as put together as we are, everybody in this room is walking through something. And how comforting it is to know that no matter what I'm walking through, flood or fire, he's with me. He's with me. This is where our faith is often tested. Because we say, God, if you really love me, you would have delivered me from the fire. God, surely you can't love me if you let me go through the fire. And you guys have heard me say this. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, that faith doesn't make life easy. Faith makes life possible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes life will come at you with such ferocity. <laughs> come on, somebody. Uh, that it will cause you to run from God instead of running to God, who is the only one who has the capacity and the ability to rescue you. So the psalmist says it this way. The psalmist says it this way. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. It speaks of the sufficiency of the God we serve. <laughs> I don't have to look anywhere else. Everything I need, I can find in him. Now, when you read the text in the Hebrew, what the writer is saying, and again, this is a psalm of David. This is a song of David. These are lyrics to a song of worship that would later be sung in the temple. And David is writing this song of worship, and he acknowledges, he sees the parallel. He sees the parallel between what he knew as a shepherd boy and how God interacts with humanity. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the original Hebrew, this is how it reads. Y'all ready for this? Jehovah is my ruler, my teacher, my friend. In that order, in that sequence, Jehovah is my ruler. Then he's my teacher. Then he's my friend. Jehovah is my ruler. He's my teacher. He's my friend. 
said, Pastor Ray, why, why, why are you making a big deal of that? Mm, how do I say this? The scripture says in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, how can two walk together except they agree? Mm. The prerequisite for me to walk with my shepherd is that my life, my thoughts, my actions must come into agreement with what he desires. So if I'm going to be a friend of God, and if I'm going to have a relationship that is based on my friendship with God, in order to walk with him, I must first submit to his counsel. If he's going to be my friend, he's got to be my teacher first. And the way I walk in close concert with God is, first of all, allowing him to teach me in order for me to walk with him. But here's the problem. How can I submit to God as my teacher if I don't first allow him to be my Lord? Let me, let me break it down for you. Most of us as Christians don't have an issue calling Jesus Savior. It's easy to accept the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and that we are redeemed because of his sacrifice. Let me tell you where the rub comes. The rub is not with Jesus as our Savior. The rub is Jesus as my Lord. The rub is saying, Jesus, you have the final say. The rub is saying that I have to pick up my cross daily. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, if any of y'all go walk with me, if we're going to roll out, if we're going to be tight, if anybody's going to walk with me, here's how it happens. Take up your cross daily. Uh-oh, I pumped pump the brakes. Let me rewind. Deny yourself. We live in a generation that is so entitled that you can't tell nobody nothing. Because the first thing we think about is our rights what I deserve, what I'm entitled to. And Jesus said, you can't even walk with me until you give that stuff up. The stuff you think you are entitled to, the stuff you think you deserve, you can't come that close to me if you're coming to me with all this entitlement and think that I should respond to you on your terms. And so what the psalmist is saying, Jehovah must first be my ruler, meaning, I must first submit myself to the lordship of God. Here's why. Because if he's not in charge, I have an option of taking what he says or leaving what he says. Jesus, you ain't my Lord. So if you tell me to do this, I can take it or leave it. You're my savior, but you ain't the boss of me, Jesus. I'm the boss of my own life. So when you say this in your word, I don't have to obey that. I can do my own thing. Because you're my savior, you ain't my Lord though. Notice what the shepherd said, I mean the psalmist said. When Jesus becomes Lord, then he can become my teacher. Let me tell you why most, even professional athletes struggle. They argue with their coaches all the time. Because what the coach got to tell you, you can't receive because you don't respect him as your coach. And there's no way you can follow his instructions if you don't respect him as the authority on the team. So even with all the talent, guess what you get? You get traded. 
And that's where most of us miss out in life. We don't surrender to the lordship of God. Therefore, he can't teach us and it negatively impacts our intimacy with him. And let me tell you why that's important. If that first relationship is not right, we will begin to look to other things to satisfy the desires of our heart. Notice the psalmist said, because of the surrender and the posture of my heart, he is my ruler, my teacher, and my friend. I have everything I need. My sufficiency is in him. Everything I need, everything I could ever desire is right there in him. As a pastor, my challenge and my prayer for all of us is to come into a place of complete surrender, complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that he can become our teacher. You've heard me say this here before, that your life and my life is, some, is the sum total of the voices we've chosen to trust over the course of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. The outcome, the output, the fruit of your life and my life is a direct result of the voices we have chosen to trust over the course of our lifetime. Who have you trusted the most? Which voices have you placed the most value on? (laughs) For some of us, it's our own voice. Right? If it feels good, do it. You're the captain of your soul, the captain of your faith, and we live that way. Or, or, Or it may be the voice of a parent that continues to haunt us. Again, not every voice had a positive influence on our lives. But we chose to believe those voices. And it has determined the outcome of our lives. What the psalmist is saying in Psalm 23 is trust my voice again. And that's why he said in John chapter 10, that's why he said in John chapter 10, my sheep, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Listen to to what the the shepherds would do. Uh, The shepherds would take their their flock, usually about 100 sheep, and they would find green pastures. Because most of Israel, most of the Middle East is very arid and dry. So to to find a place that is well watered for 100 sheep, sometimes they would have to travel several miles. So if a shepherd found a well watered place, they would rest there and sometimes overnight. The problem is, other shepherds would come as well. And they would come to that well-watered place. And many of them, because they had traveled for several miles, would stay there overnight. But because of the wolves and other predators, the shepherds would put all of their sheep in the closest cave. Until the next morning. How are you going to sort through all them sheep? My flock in there, your flock in there. You got three, four hundred sheep. How you going to sort out which sheep is whose? Simple. The shepherd would stand at the mouth of the cave 
and call out to his sheep. And no matter how many sheep were in that cave, the only sheep that would respond to the shepherd's voice was the shepherd's sheep. And one by one, the shepherd's sheep would come out of the cave. And then the next shepherd would come and he would call out to his sheep. And then his sheep would come out. I think this morning, what the shepherd is saying to each of us is hear my voice again. Hear my voice again. Because in hearing his voice, we will find everything we need. We will lack for nothing. We will desire nothing. Everything we ever need in this life, we will find in him. I still remember praying that prayer, y'all. And every single step of the way, I wish I could, I, I had time to tell y'all some of the story. Uh, my wife's heard him. Uh, on our first date, uh, we're in Bible college. Come on, somebody. Come on. And uh, the singles ministry, we took this long trip up to Breckenridge, Colorado. It was a ski trip. And uh, we sat next to each other. And uh, I forget now, on the way up there, on the way back, I shared my story with her. How God's been good and faithful to me. Uh, man, I wish I could tell you some stories. I wish I could tell you some stories. I wish I could tell you some stories right now. If I start, I can't stop. But I know what it looks like, man, to come face to face with death and see God show up and see God be the fourth man in the fire. I know pastor look good. I don't look like what I've been through, y'all. I know many of y'all wondering, how come you say you're from Liberia? I don't hear no accent. Name Ray Harmon. Shouldn't his name be Akuna Matata or something like that? <laughs> I know y'all were thinking that. Y'all were, were thinking that. Um, that's a whole nother story. Uh, word of encouragement to us this morning. Uh, you are not alone. Uh, God is not just with you. God is not just with you. He's, this, is what, this is what Jesus said, I will never leave you. Huh? Uh, that, that speaks of his physical presence. I'm right there with you. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what's taunting you. I don't know what voices are screaming at you. But the promise we have from God's word is, I will never leave you. I'm right there with you. Even when you can't feel me. Even when you can't touch me. And that's one of the great lessons of faith, faith, that we learn to trust him even when we can't trace him. I take him at his word. You're right there with me. In the hospital room, you're right there with me. In the courtroom, you're right there with me. On the job when I'm dealing with these crazy people. You're right there with me. But notice what else he said. I will never forsake you. That word forsake is translated abandon. And that word abandon is not, doesn't just speak of, of leaving someone physically. It speaks of being there for them even emotionally and spiritually. That means when I'm down and I'm struggling in my emotions, 
Jesus is all up in there. For the Bible declares that he is touched with the feeling of my infirmity. When I cry, he feels it. The scripture says he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows exactly what you're going through. And even when he's silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying all this. Other than that, we need him more than ever before. To be reminded of how near and how close God is. How near and how close God is. Let me close with this. All my city church people looking at their wires say, huh? <laughs> Did he just say, let me close with this? It's 1115. <laughs> oh, it's the first close. Oh, my bad. Okay. It, it, it's the first close. That's the first close. I got about three more. Got about three more. Three more. Ah. The toughest place to be with God is in the middle. Not quite where you were, but not quite where you know you're supposed to be. I would venture to say that some of us are there this morning. The disciples found themselves in a similar place where he says to them, uh, let's go to the other side. How many of you this morning have received a word from God at some point in your life? You were crystal clear. You knew with great certainty exactly what God said. What was the instruction? Let's go to the other side. Isn't that what he said? So the disciples jump in the boat and they're cruising, man. And somewhere between where they left and where they were going, great storm arose. Not just some small storm, a great storm arose to the point where the boat was filling up. Come on, somebody. You might find yourself in that place this morning. Let me tell you something. Sometimes trouble comes. Not as an indication that you have missed God, but that you're right in the middle of God's will. Come on, let me flip the script on you now. A lot of times we believe that when life gets hard, it's because we miss God somewhere. Uh, one of the guys in our Bible study yesterday morning asked the question, he said, you know, uh, the Lord spoke to me a few years ago and, and, uh, and I obeyed the instruction. And, uh, but man, it just seems a little bit like I'm not hearing from him the way I used to. And this is what I said. I told him a story about me and my family. We like road trips. We like to get in the car and drive. And sometimes we talk, and sometimes we just think. 
We don't say nothing. Sometimes we listen to music. Sometimes we don't. But we always have beef jerky. <laughs> come on, somebody. That's a staple for road trips. You got to have that good, <laughs> come on, somebody, that good, thick beef jerky, man. Come on, somebody. Anyway, I digress. But you know how you set the GPS for your road trip? Let's say you go going to New Orleans or somewhere, whatever, and you, you, you know, you kind of get out of the city, and then you, you, hit, you hit a certain spot in your trip uh, where it says uh, you're going to be right here for the next 105 miles. Anybody ever been there? You set your GPS? 105 miles till your next exit. How many of you realize... For the next 104 miles, that GPS ain't going to say not a word. Are y'all with me? Why? Because you obeyed the last instruction. And I don't have to say another word to you until it's time for the next instruction. And not only will I give you the next instruction, I will prepare you before you need it. Are y'all with me? So when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. It means you have obeyed the last instruction. And until you need the next instruction, I'm going to be quiet and see if you trust me enough to stay the course. That's why most of us get, we get antsy. We start shaking. Why God ain't talking to me? Why ain't he saying, no, 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 no. 105 miles till your next exit. Now, if you want him to talk again, let me tell you how much he loves you. If you want him to talk again, just get off that road and go to a truck stop. Come on, somebody. He's going to start talking to you immediately because he's that faithful to you that if you veer off the last instruction, he will get you back on course. When God is silent, it doesn't mean he's after. So Jesus, like the GPS, goes to sleep on his disciples. I told him, let's go to the other side. I ain't got nothing else to tell him. Are y'all with me? Either they're going to trust the last instruction, or they're going to turn around and go back, or they're going to do something crazy. If Jesus said, let's go to the other side, does it matter that the boat is filling with water? That's, that's, that's faith now. Because most of us think, on the word of the Lord, nothing bad should happen. Because when bad stuff starts happening, God can't be in it. But Jesus was right in the boat with them. Remember what Jesus said when they came and woke him up? Two things, two things, two things. Uh, first thing they said, Master, do you not care? In fact, let me say King James because it's even better. He said, carest thou not that we perish? <laughs> y'all know how y'all be holy when y'all praying. Y'all switch over to that King James. And we think that because of the big words, God's going to hear us. Hearest thou not that we perish? Right? 
Let me tell you what the storms come to do. The storms come to cause you to question how much God cares. God don't love you. Girl, if God really loved you, he would insulate you from all this. You would become immune to trouble. Because if you're a Christian, you're invincible. Yet the psalmist said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of every single, every single one. Every single one. Every single one. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. First thing, that, and the storms come and cause us, cause us to question whether or not God cares. Now, notice Jesus' response. Notice Jesus' response. And this is where I close. This is where I close. Oh, my bad. <laughs> it slipped. It slipped out. Um, felt like a good place to say it. Um, um, uh, notice Jesus' response. Jesus said, uh, didn't I, hold on, didn't I tell you let's go to the other side? That was Jesus' response. Jesus didn't jump out of his sleep and say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for you to go through this. Oh, let me fix it for you. Jesus said, didn't I tell you we're going to the other side? Jesus said, what was the last instruction I gave you? Regardless of all the disruptions and interruptions that happened in between, what did I tell you? The storm comes, number one, to cause us to question whether God cares. Number two, to question what God said. Because when the storm comes, it be, man, did God, I must have missed God. God didn't tell me that. Did he really tell me to do that? Isn't that what happened in the garden? Did God really say? If you're here this morning, let me just say this. If you find yourself in the middle, uh, obey the last instruction. Number two, remember that God cares. And number three, come on somebody, fight for what's on the other side. Come on. That storm in the middle, that storm in the middle is about what's on the other side. The enemy is trying to keep you from getting to that. And the crazy thing is, if you're in the middle, the distance between where you left and where you headed is exactly the same. But this is what most of us do. We go back to what we know. But there's something more glorious on the other side. It's so easy to go back to what's familiar, convenient, and comfortable. But it's about, he put you in the boat because of what was on the other side. So to get to the other side, and who do they meet? The demoniac of Gadarenes, a man possessed with 10, no, more, a thousand, legion, whatever it was, a legion of demons. He cut himself, lived in the caves, was an outcast, has one encounter with Jesus, and then the scripture says that this man was now clothed and in his right mind. This man says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be one of you. He said, no, 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 no. You ain't going to follow me, but this is what you're going to do, though. This is what you're going to do. You're going to tell everybody. You're going to tell everybody what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown compassion to you. And guess what they did? They got in the boat and went back to the other side. Now, let me tell you why that encounter was so profound. When you read the text, 
the scripture says that this man who had once been demon-possessed went into the region of Decapolis and preached the gospel. Now, what is Decapolis? Decapolis comes from the Greek word deca, where we get ten. So this man just didn't go to one city, but he went into a region of ten cities. We would call it a metroplex and preach the gospel. What is this storm that you're going through in the middle really about? It's really about what's on the other side. But in order to get to the other side, you can never lose sight of the fact, never lose sight of the fact that you are not alone. That Jesus is still in the boat, even when it's filling up with water. Come on. They're going to start playing this music behind me like it's the Oscars. Time for me to get off the stage. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But I'm going to finish my acceptance speech in Jesus' name. No, I'm, <laughs> I'll play it. I'll play it. I'm all done. I'm all done. I want to pray for you this morning as I close. I want to pray for you this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed. Ah, Father. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.